Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy God's Word, once you find the book of Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you're new to the Bible, Galatians is in the New Testament or the second half of your Bible. It's a really, really small book, but hopefully you can find it. If you find like some bigger books like Matthew and John and Acts, just kind of keep going and then you're going to find it tucked away. It's Galatians and then there's like another book called Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. If you get to the maps, back up. All right, so you just find yourself Galatians chapter 4. The reason why I'm taking so much time to tell you where to get us because the best thing that is going to be talked to you to, or talked about tonight to you is God's Word, all right? And we are, man, we, we, we are fired up that God wrote a book and that we can get to know the God of the universe by His Word tonight. And so I want to turn your attention to Galatians chapter 4, and hopefully you're going to take notes as we dive in tonight. I don't know if you grew up anything like me, uh, but, but in my household, if you wanted it, you had to go out and get it. I don't know if that's anybody. Like my mama, she taught me, if, if you're going to make the grades, you ain't just going to get the grades. Because she knew I would, you know, she knew my daddy, you know what I'm saying? So like, you're going to have to work, you have to study. And, and so if I was going to make good grades, I was going to have to study to make the good grades. And if I didn't study to make the good grades, I was going to make the good grades, you know what I'm saying? Like if I wanted to make some money, I had to go out and get a J-O-B. I had to get a job. Some of y'all need to hear that tonight. Anyway, so I had to go out and get a job. If I was going to make some money, if I didn't perform on the job, then I wasn't going to get a promotion. Or I wasn't going to get the money. If I wanted friends, you know, then I needed to be friendly. And and if I didn't perform as a good friend, then I probably was just going to wind up lonely. Now, this is a a good thing to know. This is kind of how the world works. And so much of my life, this is kind of what drives my life, that that I just approach things like if you work hard enough, if you do a good job, then then everything's just going to kind of work out. But if you don't work hard enough, if you don't perform, if you don't do the job right, then it's not going to end out, it's not going to end up all right for you. And again, this is so much of my life, and this is an important lesson to learn for us tonight if you haven't learned that lesson. But, but when it comes to what's most important in our life, this mentality, it doesn't work, which is a little bit confusing because it works in so many other areas in life. But when it comes to the most important thing in life, this mentality, this approach that if, if I perform well, if I work hard, then I'm going to get blessings, I'm going to get rewards, I'm going I'm to get a promotion, it doesn't work out in the most important thing in life. Here's what I mean, that the most important thing in your life is your relationship with God, your maker, because your relationship with God, it not only informs who you are, what you're doing, what you should do in your life, but it also informs where you're going in the next life. And the most important thing that we can begin to wrestle with tonight is how we are relating to the God of the universe. That the most important thing in your life right now and forever is your relationship with God. And when it comes to this mentality that I've got to work hard, I've got to perform, I've got to do all the right things, so to speak, in order to have favor, in order to get the blessing or whatever it is from God, it just, it just doesn't work. Like, here's what one of the main teachings of the Bible says that you cannot perform good enough to earn God's favor. One of the most pervasive teachings in the Bible that is abundantly clear is that you and I, we cannot be good enough to get God on our side. Like we cannot be good enough to earn our right standing before God. The the, the standard in order for you to be right before God is perfection, y'all. 
And, and y'all, y'all, y'all probably good folks. You know, y'all good people. I didn't see nobody like trying to stab or shank anybody out in the lobby space before we got in here tonight. So we, we're good. Hopefully, you know, everybody's good and all that sort of thing. But, but here's what I know to be true. Ain't nobody perfect in here. That we all have got some sort of hang up, some sort of habit, some sort of issue. And when it comes to, if we were getting graded on our performance in life and 10 was a perfect score, none of us are going to ever reach 10. But you got to have a 10 in order to get in to heaven. And so the Bible's abundantly clear that, that if you think that you can perform your way into God's favor, it just doesn't work that way. So, so we ask the question, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, if I can't be good enough to get to God, then how do I get to God? <laughs> like, like, how do I get in? Because you're bro- like, hell's hot and it's forever. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to go, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be right with God, you know? Like, how do I get in? How do I get right with God? So one of the main messages of the Bible is the gospel or the good news. And here's what it says. The only way for you to get right with God is to trust Christ. Like the scripture is going to be abundantly clear. It's by faith that we are saved, by faith in Christ that makes us right before God. Now the problem is, I think that some of you, you've heard that. If you've been tracking with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been in this book called Galatians, and we've, we've talked about this ad, ad nauseum, all right? We've talked about this over and over and over, and that's a good use of our time. Because there's this tendency for us to run back to performance and that mentality, thinking that we can somehow earn more of God's blessing or favor or love. Like, so low-key, here's what happens. Like, there's something we want in life. And uh, we start running like a diagnostic on like our spiritual behavior. And we're like, all right, um, like I'm a little bit of a deficit at prayer. And, um, and I, like I've been in the Word. Like what I mean by been in the Word, like I follow this person on TikTok and they posted like their devotion. And I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to get splashed on from them, you know. And, um, and we'll start running like a diagnostic and we'll think, okay, here's what I'm, I'm just going to make like a, a pact with ourselves. I'm just going to do a little bit more spiritually. I'm going to pray a little bit more. I'm going to go to church a little bit more. I may even sign up to serve. And I think God's going to see me, and he's going to be like, I see you. And so I think like the Trinity is having a huddle up in heaven, and they're like breaking down the stats of our spirituality. Like sometimes we think this, right? And the Holy Spirit's like, you know, hey, Jesus, how does Sally do this week? Sally put up some good numbers. Let's get her a husband. You know, like, like we think that that's how it works. How did John do? John, John got in the Word four times this week. It's only Tuesday. Yeah, I know. He's, I mean, he's got some good numbers. Let's get him a promotion. You know, like that's sometimes we think, low-key, we think if we'll, if we'll just kind of do a little bit more spiritually, kick it in gear for a little bit, God will see our, our diligence, he'll see our efforts, and he'll be like, you know what, I'm just going to give you some of that. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to give you some favor. I'm going to give you some blessing. So we just kind of hope that God will see our performance, and then he'll just kind of, he'll kind of hook us up with what he does, you know? And oftentimes, we can make faith out to be something that it's not. And we can make faith more about our performance, therefore showing that we're putting more faith in ourselves than we are in God. And we can make faith out to be something that it's really not. And listen, faith is not about relying on your performance. It's about us resting in the promises and the performance of Jesus Christ. That many of us, we've come in here tonight and you are a slave to the mentality that you've got to perform in order to get more of God's favor. That's how you were brought up. That's how your world works, but the Bible and the gospel and the book tonight, it's going to challenge that mentality. And listen, God wants to set you free from a performance mentality. If you're taking notes, then I titled this message, Slave to Performance. Slave to Performance. And here's what I want you to see from God's Word tonight. I want you to see a reminder. I want you to see an illustration that we're going to unpack 
tonight, and then I want to call you and give you an invitation to something that is so glorious. Uh, Paul, the guy that wrote this letter, that brother was a slave to performance. So if anybody has the, the, the authority to speak about, hey, you're doing a lot of energy and a lot of effort in order to get God's favor, Paul is your God. Like when you read about Paul, like this guy, he, like he, was, a, he was a slave to the performance mentality spiritually. Like he thought he had to do all of these religious things in order to be right with God. And if he didn't do those religious things, then he wasn't right with God. And so he thought that he was in God's favor to the degree that he was being obedient to God. And then he thought he was out of God's favor to the degree that he was being disobedient to God. And he thought that I, I had to earn God's love. And so he had kind of this works-based mentality when it came to what makes someone right with God. But then Jesus wrecked his life, y'all. And Paul spent the rest of his life inviting people to the scene of the crash and talking about how Jesus had changed his life. And when he met Jesus, he was undone by the amazing grace of God. Like Paul, like he had spent his life, like all the good things that I know I need to be doing, I just can't do enough. And all the bad things I know that I shouldn't be doing, it just seems like those are the things I keep doing. Who, oh, wretched man that I am, Paul writes elsewhere, who's going to save me from this prison of sin? He's like, it's Jesus. I already know the answer. Because he had met Jesus, Jesus undid Paul by just simply revealing who he was. Jesus, he can't get away, he can't get away from grace, y'all. Jesus, he can't get away from love. He can't get, he is infinite in his mercy, that he is, he is willing to forgive even the most wretched of sinners. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he just simply reveals himself to Paul. Paul's like, man, I'm done. I'm done putting my effort in my futile attempts to try to earn God's favor. I'm going to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. And so Paul, he was, he was like undone. He was like, oh my goodness, we don't have to be a slave to religion, guys. <laughs> he spent the rest, the rest of his life, but we don't have to worry about whether or not we're in good favor, good standing with God, and, and whether or not he loves us. Like all, we could be, like he's like, like we could be free in Christ, you know? And he's so fired up. He's like, I found, I found the, the secret to life or whatever. He would say, I found the Savior, that he is Jesus and he is alive. And so Paul, he gave his life to help everyone know the promise of God's salvation and, and that God has a, a, a love that extends to all people and that God's love is not rooted in our ability to perform commandments or whatever the religious duties are, that God's love is rooted in the performance that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And Paul would say it tonight, if you were here, if you would just put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, this would set you free from this performance mentality. And the people that Paul was writing to in Galatia, they were the beneficiaries of this amazing truth, but they got coaxed, coaxed back into this slavery to performance mentality. Like, like here's what I know about me. Like, like I, I could preach this message to me tonight, like you're free, you're free, you're free. And then like 30 minutes after we end tonight, I'll find myself sliding back into slavery. I'll find my, myself slipping back into a performance mentality, thinking that somehow God is more pleased because I preached tonight. God is not more pleased with us when we do this or when we do that. God's pleasure is full upon us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ because he looks at us as he looks at his son and he is delighted in his son Jesus. And we have that invitation tonight, but we have a tendency to go back to this performance mentality and it doesn't work out well. So Paul, he says this in Galatians 4 verse 8. He says, before you Gentiles knew God, again, Gentiles is just kind of non-Jewish people. They were, they were the people that Paul had started these churches with in the region of Galatia. He said, before you Gentiles knew God, uh, y'all were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. And so now that you know God, um, and he kind of corrects himself, or, or I should say, now that God knows you, 
And if you've studied the Bible much, we don't come to God when we're good and ready. God's been pursuing us uh, since the foundation of the world, amen? And so he says, now, now that you know God, or should I say that God knows you, why do you want to go back again to become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? I, I love Paul's straightforwardness, you know? He's like, you, you were, we were so done with that when I was with you guys. Why do y'all want to keep going back to that? He, he's just kind of like, hey, hey, stop it, you know? I just love Paul. He's so direct. He says, you're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. And then he just shares his heart with them. In verse 11, he says, I fear for you. He said, this is troubling to me. I, I, I don't think that we can get where Paul is and really understand the full weight of what, it, what is at stake here. Like if we don't have this letter, this Galatians letter, there's so many things that we could get twisted so quick. And Paul, he is defending the gospel and godly men and godly women, we need to take a stand for what matters to God and the gospel and its integrity, it matters to God. So Paul, he says, I fear for you. And he goes on to say, perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. He's like, man, maybe I wasted my time with you guys. Maybe all this was for naught. I thought we had a good thing going. And, and then he kind of changes his tone here in verse 12. And he says, dear brothers and sisters, I'm like one of you guys. He says, I plead with you. I'm begging you. He says, to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. The reminder. The reminder. Paul is reminding this group of people of the things that he's already said to them when he first visited them. He's reminding them of some things he's already said in this letter, and he's also reminding them of how they even got together in the first place. And so, like, this is just one big reminder. He's like, guys, don't go back to the slavery that you came from once again. He's saying, hey, hey, remember, y'all were once slaves to these gods that weren't even gods. And, and what he means by slavery, he even just kind of defines it here. Uh, he says that in, in verse 10 that you were, you were trying to earn favor before God. You were, you were enslaved, uh, in verse 9, you were enslaved to the weak, useless principles of this world. So what they were enslaved to, they were enslaved to this performance mentality. Like, like they thought, I do, therefore I'm accepted. And they grew up in this mentality where they were trying to appease God, so they were sacrificing to them, doing whatever they had to do in their culture, and they were saying, okay, if I do this enough, if, I, if I'm sincere enough, if I'm devout enough, God, the gods will see my performance, and then they will accept me. They were thinking, if I do these religious things, then God will accept me, and if I don't do these religious things, then God will reject me. And Paul, he's reminding them to not get stuck in the trap of performance. He's saying, don't be a slave to the performance-based salvation system. So, so tonight, how, how do you know if, if you're guilty of being entrapped in that performance mentality spiritually? Like, how could we know tonight whether or not we're falling victim or whether or not we're guilty of this performance mentality, so to speak? Well, he says here in verse 10, he says, you're trying to earn favor with God. He says that they were trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I'm just reading you the Bible tonight, y'all. So think about this. I'm trying to earn favor with God by doing blank. You can fill in the blank. For them, it was observing certain days, months, seasons, and years. You, it may be doing some sort of spiritual thing. 
It may be following a certain person on, on social media. It may be signing up for 17 different ways to serve and to please God. I don't know what you're trying to do to earn God's favor, but Paul is saying this. Anytime you try to earn God's favor, you're already slipping into the slavery of performance mentality. The only way you can appropriate God's favor is by receiving God's favor. It is nothing that you can earn. The grace of God is a gift, and anytime we try to earn the grace of God, it ceases to be the grace of God. And Paul's saying that the way that you know that you're a slave to this performance mentality is that you're trying to earn God's favor. Think of it this way. Why do you obey God? Why are you here tonight? Why'd you bring a Bible? Why, why, why do you do the spiritual things that you do? For them, they were obeying God to get more favor. And, and, and Paul, if he was here, he would say what he said to them in verse 11. I, I fear for you. If you live a version of faith where you have to earn God's favor, listen, it will never be enough. And you will be so exhausted. And you will invent this version of Christianity where you just gotta do all of these things and you've gotta make it happen and you've gotta grind for the glory of God and you've gotta get out there and do it. And it's not gonna end well for you. Paul says that I, I want you to have what I have and that's freedom. Listen, Christianity is not supposed to be a heavy burden. Some of you grew up in a household where your version of faith was that you had to do all of these things, you had to perform all of these ways, and if you didn't, you better look out. And Christianity became something that you rejected or rebelled from or your faith of origin that you rebelled from because it just seemed like it was suppressing you and it was a heavy burden. But listen, biblical Christianity, freedom in Christ, is not supposed to be a heavy burden. And the way it becomes that is when we seek to earn favor from God and we fail to believe that because of what Christ has done and when we put our faith in Christ, we have the favor of God. Many of you are trying to earn what you already got. And I think this God's just up in heaven like, what are we doing, you know? We, I, I try to make it clear that when you put your faith in me, you get everything. And we're down here just trying to just earn it. You know, do you see me, God? You, you see that? Do you note that? Could you give me some more? And he's like, you already have everything. There's nothing left I can give you. If you've made Christianity into a performance for God so that he'll love you more for the love of God and in all love towards you, stop. This isn't a message where let me give you 25 ways you can please God and then you go out there and by tomorrow you try to do them all, all right? This is a message tonight that just is a reminder that when you put your faith in Christ, you have everything. You have all the favor that you could ever have. I think so many of us are so unaware of how so loved we really are. Like if you only knew, young lady, that you have the gaze of the God of the galaxies upon you and he delights in you, I don't think you'd keep running to these other things. Guys, if you only knew that there's a God that is elated just at calling you to, to rise in the morning and says, you are my warrior, you're my man. So proud of you, woo, just fired up, you're awake. You're like, I ain't even done anything yet, you know? He's like, yeah, let's go, you know? Like he's just so fired up, why? 
because you're his. And I think if we knew that, guys, we wouldn't run to all of these false, vain attempts to try to find significance when we have the significance of the sovereign. You are so loved. And I think God is trying to convince us tonight that we are meant to be rooted in the, the rest of that relationship, not trying to earn all of this favor from God. Listen, Christianity is not supposed to be some joyless performance. Well, you know, I, I obey God. Just obey him, you know. You know, you better obey God. You know, you better get in the word. <laughs> you better pray because, you know, if not, if you don't sign up to serve, if you ain't serving, you know what that means. God watching you, you know. Like we have this mentality. And I'll just, I, I gotta, I just gotta, I gotta obey him because if I, I better obey him or I'll lose his favor. And you've misunderstood God, listen, and you're misrepresenting Christianity. And the watching world is looking at you running around carrying this heavy burden that you call faith in Christ. And they're like, I don't want that, Jesus. That, that brother seemed heavy. That we are supposed to be the lightest, most joy-filled Restful, peace, anxious less, worry less, life-filled people that walk the planet because we know our God. We know the maker of the universe. And when he looks down at us, he smiles. And when we forget that, we run back to this weird version of Christianity that's not in the Bible. Listen, Christ has come to set you free. You have all the favor of God that you could ever have when you put your faith in Christ. So, so go enjoy him. Like, let me liberate you to go walk in that freedom. So what this looks like practically is, is I think there's just kind of this, this combination of effort and enjoyment in our relationship with God. And the way that we, the way that we flesh out our relationship with God, it involves effort and enjoyment. Like, let me explain it this way. Um, I, I didn't grow up really loving yard work. I don't know if you love yard work. God bless you if you love yard work. But I got a wife that loves a good-looking yard. And, and I love my wife. I love me some Chelsea, all right? And, uh, and so she likes flowers, and so I like flowers, you know? And so I said for Mother's Day, I said, let's go buy some flowers. I love flowers. I love spending hundreds of dollars on flowers. We can get a fruit tree too, you know what I'm saying? Get something to eat, right? Anyway, and so I get out there, and like in my effort, I'm out there planting flowers, and I'm like, you see me plant flowers? You know, I'm just plant flowers. And Now, if all I did was just plant flowers just to show her how much I loved her, you know, that, that would be all right, but eventually that's going to get old. But my effort to plant flowers is always connected to my enjoyment and my relationship with her. So that this morning, before I, got, I came to work, my wife was like, um, do, you, do you need to do some things before you get ready to go to work? I said, the only thing I need to do is make a cup of coffee and sit on the back patio with you and look at these flowers and listen to the birds sing and see the little bunny rabbits hop around and watch the squirrels run around. That my relationship with my wife, there's effort, definitely, but that effort is always tethered to the next opportunity for me to enjoy my, my relationship with her. And so, yeah, I plant all these flowers in the backyard, but it was joy-filled work. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a great opportunity for me to say, hey, let me create and let me cultivate and let me, let me put forth some effort so that I have these moments where I enjoy the relationship with my wife. Listen, if you don't enjoy God, 
you are missing out on what God intended for you to be about. If you think Christianity is more about begrudging obedience and less about joyful enjoyment of God, you have misunderstood what God and who God and what all this is all about. Like your motivation to do the things you do for God should be so that you can get more of God, so that you can enjoy him. Listen, Christ has set you free from the performance trap so that your relationship with him should involve effort and enjoyment. Like, like you, yeah, read the Bible, pray, go to church, give your money to, to, to the church, serve, do whatever you think is the spiritual thing that you need to do, but only to the degree that it leads you to enjoy God. Don't somehow think that God is looking at all of your spiritual doings and when you're just kind of white knuckling and just like, oh, I guess I'll do this and think that, he's like, wow, I, I am feeling so glorified right now, right? But when we obey unto the enjoyment of God, this brings glory to God. And when we obey without the end goal of delight in God, then we miss the heart of God. See, when we obey to get God's blessing or his favor, we're becoming a legalist. And the root of our faith is in our performance. Like if you're following Jesus but not enjoying Jesus, something is off. I don't know if you think about God much, but like God, like I don't know if you saw the lunar eclipse the other night. That was like all of his doing, okay? Like God, like I don't know if you've seen pictures at the Hubble telescope or whatever the new one is that takes and sends us back and you're like, Wow, that's amazing. You know, that's like some stars, some galaxies, some far, far away, you know. And like, I don't know if you think about those things. And then, and then like, like just the wonder, I'm with my kids in the backyard this weekend and like turning over rocks. And like my, my middle daughter, she, she salvages like this ant egg. And she's like nurturing the little ant egg, you know. And she's just enthralled with wonder about something that I just kind of dismiss. But this little bitty micro world that's out there, God made all of that. And then when you think about all of the other glorious things that we get to experience, God has given us all of these things, the scripture says, so that we would know his eternal power and his, and, and his amazing glory. And so that we would experience those created things unto our enjoyment in our relationship with God. And that's the person that you get to have a relationship with. Like I think sometimes we just kind of downplay the goodness of God. Like, yeah, I gotta go to church. I yeah, I guess I was reading the Bible today. Yeah, I'm praying for another time. You know, like we just kind of like, I'm like, who are you hanging out with? Like your your step grandma that you really don't like? You know? Like this is God, y'all. And when we talk about God, what should fall out of our mouth is superfluous adjectives that just draw the spotlight to the goodness and the glory and the majesty of God. There may be someone in your life that is hesitant to come to Christ because they've heard about the way you talk about God around them. And they're like, why do I want him? But we should speak about God as he is the main thing in my life. He's the best thing in my life. I was sharing with a guy today, I said, man, when I think about my life, I would, if I didn't have Jesus, your boy would be a wreck. Right, I, I'm just like, I, don't, I, I can't think of a day that goes by where I'm like, thank God, you know, like, thank you for that. And then sometimes God just gives me joy and enjoyment. And other times he grabs me by the shirt collar and says, hey, if you keep this up, you know. And like, I just, I just can't imagine what my life would be like without God.
sitting on the porch this morning enjoying my wife and we were just talking about how amazing it is that we can know the one that put the song in the sparrow. That we can know the one that colored the azaleas and the blooms. That we can know the one that's causing the peonies to bud. We, we know that, brother. <laughs> this is amazing, you know? And this is the same invitation to you. And if you're following Jesus but not enjoying Jesus, something's off. And Paul, he's calling us to be free. And then he goes on to remind the group that he's talking to originally of, of how they, they first got together. He's like, hey, remember I got sick and I wasn't supposed to come hang out with y'all, but then I, then I showed up and, man, y'all like took care of me. Y'all would have given me your own eyeball, he says. Like, we had a good thing going, you know, and, and then I shared the gospel and, like, the Spirit of God broke out. And, and then he's like, so, like, I'm writing you, like, I love you guys. Like, he says in verse 16, I'm not your enemy because I speak the truth, so don't get it twisted. I don't care what other people are saying about me. We got history together. And then he says in verse 19, another expression of love. He says, I'm laboring again. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring you back to the truth because I want to see Christ developed in you. And you can just feel the, the pastoral heart of Paul in the letter. And this should be reflective of my heart towards you. This should be reflective of those that you're shepherding and that you're pastoring. That you would love them and speak the truth to them. That you wouldn't see yourself as an enemy. And when somebody speaks the truth to you, you wouldn't dodge them, but you would accept them. That you would labor so that people would, would have Christ developed in their life. Who are you laboring with, Christian? Paul, he's just reminding them of what he's done. He goes on to give them this illustration that they would have been really familiar with, but it's going to take a little bit of explaining to help us get caught up with them. Here's what it says in verse 21. Paul says, tell me. You who want to live under the law, do you, do you know what the law actually even says? It's kind of a low-key like insult that Paul gives them. He says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and, and one from his freeborn wife. Now, everybody would have understood, like, oh, yeah, Abraham, Abraham. You know, they would have known Abraham. Oh, yeah, he had, two, he had, he had, a, he had a wife, like his real wife, Sarah. Like, they ought to know that. But then he had his, his, his side, his, you know, big booty on the side, Hagar. You know what I'm saying? And they would have known all of that. They would have known about all the drama. And so what happened is that there was this promise that was made to Abraham by God. And he said, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. But there was a problem. Abraham, he was old. He, he was old, and his wife was old, like old, old. Wasn't no eggs in the coop, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, she was old. And uh, so they were like, okay, God, you said you were, you're going to hook us up. You're going to hook us up. Decades pass. And Sarah's like, look, we're going to have, we're gonna have, to, we're gonna have to usher in the promise of God by our performance. She got impatient. And she, God gave her a promise, but she got impatient. And so she tried to control the situation, ladies. Not that y'all would ever do this. She tried to control the situation, and she tried to usher in before it was time. Some of y'all are out of a relationship that you tried to rush into a relationship before it was time because you thought God was going to give you a husband by the time you was 30, so you got in a relationship and it wasn't right, right? That's for somebody tonight. Anyway, and so Sarah, she was trying to control God, and, and it didn't end well. So what Sarah does is she's like, look, Abraham, I got a plan. Look. I don't know if I'm going to get pregnant, but God's got, gave us a promise. I've been, you know, Hagar, she's, you know, she's my Egyptian maidservant. And what about if, you know, what about, what about if y'all, if y'all hook up, you know, don't enjoy it, Abraham, y'all just hook up and then, and then, uh, then we'll get a son and we'll kind of like adopt him and, and like, and then we'll, we, we will take matters in our own hand. 
And Abraham should have been like, nah, girl, you crazy. But he was like, nah, let's do it. You know, and so like he, he acquiesces. Look, side note, if you think that the Bible is full of like amazing people, it's not. There's one amazing person in the Bible, and that's Jesus, and he was God in the flesh. The Bible is full of dysfunctional people who the God of the universe worked mightily in their life, and they didn't really contribute much but a lot of dysfunction. And that's good news because we are a bunch of dysfunctional people as well. And God is doing something in us and through us that is unexplainable. And there's some, some sort of just comfort in me knowing that Abraham wasn't like this amazing person. He was kind of a jack wagon from time to time. Anyway, so he sleeps with Hagar, and Hagar has a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael, he, you know, things are going okay. It seems that way. And then eventually, when Sarah's like 90 years old, she turns up pregnant. And if they would have just waited, all this would have been okay. And God brought forth a son named Isaac from Sarah, and that was Abraham's wife. And so you got Sarah and you got Hagar, and these are key players in what Paul's trying to say. So it says in verse 23, it says, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. So that's Hagar, hopefully you're tracking with me. That's Abraham sleeping with Hagar, the maidservant. It says, but the son of the freeborn wife, that was Sarah, was born of God's own fulfillment of his promise. God's like, if y'all just would have waited, I would have, I, I got this, I'm God. And he says, these two women, they serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Uh, the first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. What, what he's saying is that Hagar and Ishmael, they represent salvation by performance. And what Paul is saying is that if you want to be saved by your effort, if you want to be right before God by your effort, it's going to lead to bondage. Okay, hopefully you're tracking with me. Here's what it says in 26. But the other woman, Sarah, she represents the heavenly Jerusalem. It's like the capital of God's people. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. And what he's saying is that Sarah, she represents salvation by the promise of God based upon the performance of God, and this salvation leads to to freedom. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, an illustration. An illustration. Paul, he's using a familiar drama to explain the two ways people try to get to God. See, there's two ways that people try to get God's promise. One way is they put their faith in their self, they put their faith in their performance, they put their faith in their ability, and, and not in God. The other way is that they, they put their faith in, in God's performance, they put their faith in his ability to deliver on his promise. And Paul, he's kind of saying, there's, there's these two main ways that we do this. And he's saying the first child with the slave woman was Sarah, trying to force the promise of God. It was Sarah kind of connecting all of these things that she was trying to control the situation, like we already said. And what happened was they got a son. They got Ishmael. But it was the product of Abraham and Sarah's performance. Hagar was the victim. And their performance could not deliver God's promise, that Abraham and Sarah, they were acting by faith in themselves. They were saying, you know, we're going to take this into our own hands. And when they did this, everything blew up, as you would imagine. Like, like when y'all hear the plan that Sarah concocted, that Abraham agreed to, uh, I'm going to sleep with this woman that's not my wife, but she kind of helps out around the house, and it's all going to be good, and we'll just go back to normal. 
not a good plan. Like, we're going to have to call in Springer. Dr. Phil going to have to get involved. We're going to have to get some help in this situation. And that's what happens. Like, immediately, Sarah gets jealous. No duh, right? And then, like, Ishmael and Hagar, they're just kind of like, they're, they're just kind of victims of this whole thing. Eventually, they get ran out of the house. When Ishmael's, when he, Ishmael, when he's about 17, 18 years old, and everything just, it kind of all blows up. It seemed like a good idea. But if you know your history, this is the genesis of centuries of division in the religion world. That Hagar's son, Ishmael, is the father of Islam. That the moral of the story is this. Abraham's bid for self-salvation gave rise to Islam. Which people, which says this, people are saved by the will of Allah through their performance of his law. And so if you're going to be a good Muslim, you've got to, you've got to perform and, and obey the law of Allah really good. You have to pray that Allah would forgive you and have mercy upon you. And as I've studied Islam, here's what I've come to understand. There's not a lot of security that you have the love of God. And there's really not a great concept of the love of God. And what Paul's saying is that there's a lot at stake here. Where you hang your hat will drive so much of your life. And what he's saying is that you'll be a slave to trying to save yourself. He's just reiterating, you cannot earn God's promise. You can only receive it. Listen, salvation is a miracle, y'all. In, in our generation, we want to see signs and wonders. We want to we see miracles. Yeah, yeah, we want to see signs and wonders. We want to see miracles. And the greatest miracle and the greatest sign and the wonder that I've ever seen is that this dead man came to life. And salvation is the greatest miracle that God performs on the regular, y'all. That Sarah, she was, she was barren. She couldn't have babies. She had no eggs. And the only way that God's promise could, could become a reality in her life was God doing a miracle. And this is a picture of salvation. That Paul, what he's trying to say, what he's trying to illustrate here is the only way that we get free from the slavery of the performance mentality spiritually is to recognize that we are barren spiritually. That we cannot save ourselves. That the only way we're going to experience the new life that Christ has for us is to admit that we need the new life. That we can't in our own merits, in our own goodness, our own morality, our own whatever, be good enough, perform good enough to get to God. That the only requirement to becoming a Christian that you present is your admittance that you need Jesus. That Christianity, listen, it's for all people. This is good news. That anyone can become a Christian. You don't have to clean it all up. You just come to Christ the way you are. You don't, have, you don't have to speak the special language. You don't have to learn the sacred text in order to get right with God. You come to him tonight just the way you are. And that this is a movement for all people, regardless of what you've done, where you've been, regardless of the sin that you've done, the sin you hadn't done. The Bible teaches that we're all barren spiritually. And when we admit that, God does something miraculously to bring forth new life. So if you're here and you see spirituality and religion as a means of you being a better you, listen, you're a son of Hagar and you're trying to save yourself by your performance. And ultimately you're saying, I'm my own savior. 
and you've come here, if that's you, to seek a Jesus that will be your helper, that will be your assistant, but not your savior. And I would just caution you that Jesus, he's no one's assistant. He's the Lord. And we come to him and we say, God, would you give me life? Would you give me what only you can give me? And Jesus, he came to raise the dead to life, not to help further your futile attempts to save yourself. So so are you barren spiritually tonight? Have you come to the place where you admitted that you can't do this on your own? Have you seen that, that the only contribution that you make to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary? And only until you admit that you're spiritually barren before an almighty God will you be able to receive the miracle of new life. And Paul, he, he's given this illustration and he continues to kind of tease it out in this section. And, and he goes on in verse 28, he says, And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. He's reminding them of who they are. He says, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of, by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Listen, there's always going to be hostility between Christianity and other religions. And Paul's pointing to this hostility between Islam and Christianity that dates back to the birth of Ishmael and Isaac. And typically that hostility exists because Christians get the grace and the love of God at no expense of us, but at the expense of God. It's like, it, like, like, I don't know if you ever get frustrated when somebody gets a blessing and you're like, why did they get that blessing? Like my buddy got four months of paternal leave. Like brother didn't birth nobody. And you get four months off? <laughs> just mad about it all, you know? He grown his hair out. He just hanging out with his baby and his wife, just four months off. I'm like, you need to keep having them kids, man. That's a good, that's a good thing. Anyway. And people, when they look at Christianity, at the root of it is, we get the blessing and the favor of God by his grace. And that always leads to hostility that's rooted in many, many emotions. Verse 30 says, but what do the scriptures say about that? It says, get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. What's Paul saying? Like, performance does not work. He says in verse 31, so dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. He goes on in chapter five, verse one. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in in the slavery to the law. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, an invitation. Paul, he's inviting us to be children of the promise, children of the free woman, so that we can walk in freedom. The invitation is that you would walk in the freedom that Christ has brought to give you. That if, you're, if, you're, if you put your faith in Christ and his performance as your only, only hope for salvation, listen, Christ has truly set you free, so walk in that freedom. Don't get tied up in the slavery of performance again. You are free. And so live like it and rest in the goodness and the grace of God. Like the most freeing thing that you can experience tonight is the love of God that he has done all of the work that you and I could, could give our whole life trying to do. Christ has done it. And oftentimes we get stuck in this performance trap without even realizing it. We become slaves to performance and that mentality spiritually because our hearts, they want love, they want acceptance, they want approval, recognition. They want joy, they want peace, they want comfort. And so we think that we're gonna work hard to get those things. And we'll work hard and we'll grind so that we'll get the applause that we're seeking. And when we don't, we'll just readjust our efforts so that we can perform better. And listen, this is a toxic 
mentality. And oftentimes leads to self-deception. And that self-deception begins to weigh heavy on us. And we have these feelings of fear and anxiety and depression and despair that begin to invade our hearts. And God oftentimes can feel cold and distant and like, you know, like, like almost like a burden to come and be in his presence and unapproachable. And so we'll turn to some sort of destructive behavior to try to get the release that we're looking for. And listen, it never ends well. And then we come into places like this and we're like, oh, Christ has freedom for us. He has freedom. We should walk in the joy of the Lord. And it just seems like this like thing that we can never attain. And oftentimes we'll view a relationship with God much like that, that guy that spent like eight years in college and he got really good at slacklining. And, uh, and we'll think like that's how spirituality is. Like that's the picture of spirituality. You know what a slackline is? It's like a tightrope, like a, like a layman's tightrope, you know, like a big ratchet strap. You string up between a couple of trees and you get on that thing and you kind of wobbly, you know. And it takes a lot of effort to get on that thing. Y'all all know the guy that's really good at it, that's like springing and doing things and like flips and stuff, you know, like over the Grand Canyon. And so like, you know, like we'll see spirituality that way. That I gotta give a lot of effort to get on that thing and then I gotta maintain a lot of effort to stay balanced on that thing. And then if I fall these eight inches to the ground, I'm gonna break my neck, you know. And we'll see spirituality that way. And typically when you see somebody that's good at like a slack line, you're never boasting in the slack line. You're always like, that brother, wow, that's amazing. So the flips and the, he can walk backwards, make eggs on the slack line. I mean, that brother's good. I mean, he's still working on his bachelor degree and he's 28, but he's good at slack lining. Wow. And oftentimes we'll see that super spiritual person and that's our vision of what spirituality is and what a life in God is. A lot of effort to get on that thing, and then you got to maintain a lot of effort to balance that relationship with God. And then, and then oftentimes you'll get around somebody, and they'll be quoting the Bible. They can sing, play instruments. They can, do, they can pray good. They, do all, they can serve good. They do all the good stuff, all the good God stuff. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. And oftentimes we'll glory in that person. There's been times in my life where I've made this thing out to be a performance so that people will give me praise. How wicked is my heart? that the version of Christianity that we read in the Bible is not like a slack line. It's more like an Eno. A little while ago, I took my youngest daughter on a date and we, we hung my Eno. You can see us right here, a little photo of us, making some faces. Y'all pray for me, man. That's, my eyes got all whacked out here. <laughs> and Christianity is more like an Eno, not like a slack line. The reason why I shared this picture of my daughter is because, like, like she did nothing to get into, you know. Like, like, I literally carried her across the creek, set her on solid rock, and said, baby, you, you stay right there, because we were hanging out over a little waterfall. I said, daddy's going to hang this thing up. And then I placed her in an Eno. If you ever try to get an Eno on your own, it's a little effort, all right? But I picked her up, and I put her in this hammock. And then I crawled in that hammock. And once we were in that Eno, we were locked in. And we were resting. And this is a better picture and a more accurate picture of the invitation to a relationship with Christ. That Christ has come to give you rest. He's come to bring satisfaction to your soul. He's come to carry you across troubled waters, place you on solid ground, suspend the place of your rest, put you in that place of rest, and then in, in spend intentional time and time where you can enjoy the relationship that you have with your maker. 
That's freedom. And if I just described a version of faith that you're not experiencing, I would urge you to reconsider the claims of Christ. That Jesus did all of the work so that you and I can enjoy all of the rest. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for this truth. God, I pray that if people are here and they're not, not walking in freedom, God, I ask that they would return back to the work that you've done on the cross. God, I pray that you would remind them of just the sacrifice you made. You even said it's finished, speaking of the work of having to perform and all of those things that we oftentimes get into thinking that we can appropriate more favor from you. But God, I pray that we would just simply go to you and in you we would find rest. Uh, your invitation is clear. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. And God, I pray for somebody here and they're burdened by spirituality that they would just have an awareness that they're trying to perform. And they would, they would stop. And that they would see themselves as, as barren spiritually, as unable to produce new life. And they would come to you and say, God, would you, would you make a miracle? Would you, would you appropriate your promise? Would you perform it? And for those others that they would maybe see themselves as, as my little daughter, and they would say, Heavenly Father, would you carry me across these troubled waters? I can't do it on my own. Would you, would you hang places of enjoyment, and would you put me in those places of rest so that we can enjoy our relationship? God, we wouldn't get it twisted, and when we do get it twisted, you'd straighten it out. In Christ's name I pray, amen.